if you want to do it, you should be allowed to do it. If you don't want to do it, you absolutely shouldn't feel compelled to do it. But the argument that I don't buy is that the existence of workshops somehow inhibits actors who don't want to do them from having the careers they want. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 236, I sit down for another interview from the pro workshop angle with an actor you may remember from previously politically charged episodes, Rebecca Metz. Uh, She joined us for the 99-seat theater debate thing, which we talk about in the interview a bit. And in the interview, Rebecca and I discuss the risks and benefits of the workshops, their ethical and legal ramifications, what it means to be quote-unquote pro-choice in this business, and how actors, yes, actors, are just as responsible for their part in this issue. Not to mention all of the other ways an actor can spend their money in this town. Yeah, why is it that this only comes up in regards to casting director workshops? Hmm, that question and more posited here in episode 236, so stick around. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start so we've got a lot of stuff to cover in this episode so we might as well dive right in i think first and foremost we get to address Um, I guess that's not necessarily an elephant in the room, but we did get a lot of, and I'm not surprised one bit by this, we did get a lot of response to and listener comments regarding um, David H. Lawrence's 17th interview from last week. Yeah, yeah, we did. It seems we ruffled a few feathers, (laughs) which is, if you ask me, a very healthy thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sort of was like, awesome, because, you know, we wanted to be able to, you know, present both sides of the argument, number one. Number two, I like that people are this passionate. Like, why, like we should be. We should be this passionate about all, all of the different, you know, various aspects. I mean, people who are, you know, deeply involved in the, in the union are passionate about, about that particular thing. And, and, and hopefully all of us are passionate about storytelling and and the work that we do so why not why not we should be this passionate about it so it's been um it's been an interesting week for us Mm, yeah in terms of the response that we've gotten and um one area in particular 
that people w- thought that we sort of glossed over, even though I, I sort of thought it was in the interview, but was the sort of not challenging pro workshop the pro workshop side on the legality of the workshops. Mm-hmm. And so um, Trevor and I were like, all right, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll reach out to, you know, to David and, and sort of get a follow up from him. And it's funny because we ended up reaching out. We talked about it, but we didn't talk about reaching out to him. And then we both emailed him individually. Oh, did we? I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you emailed him too. I did. I did okay. because I wanted to ask him about the, uh, the other, th- the, the voice server audition that I had. Right and, um, and so he was like, oh, that's funny. Trevor actually emailed me about the same thing. So we, you and I ended up getting the same uh, response from him. And you've got it here in the outline. I don't know if you were planning on just reading it or, or yeah. how you want to address this. Yeah, I kind of think that, that that would be the ideal thing. Because this, this was, like you said, AJ, this was sort of the, the main crux of the sort the flack, for lack of a better word, that we, that we got for this episode. And I just want to uh, – I, I don't get into it with people online. Like some people uh, that I sort of connected with were like really upset. Um, and I just want to put this in context. We have 235 – other episodes of of alternative views and ways into the industry to just like this is one interview one way to do it david's been very successful um and i'm glad that we got his voice in the show because i actually heard from a lot of listeners who also said thank you for that interview and they they want to you know express their gratitude to david as well for uh really triggering some thought in a different direction that they hadn't previously sort of you know been down mentally Mm. and they were very very grateful and they were like wow i've got some changes to make in my career and i've got some changes to to make in the way i relate to money and to capitalism in general just that mindset so powerful stuff but again the the legality of it was sort of the main crux people were like you didn't ask him about the legal stuff, like that workshops are illegal because Billy says workshops are illegal. And there's, you know, we talked to, to, to Billy about this and, and, and I remember asking him, you know, like, it seems like these casting society of America guidelines are just guidelines. Like they, they don't, they don't seem like illegal. Like where's the illegal part? And, and Billy offered a response and I asked David and I said, you know, Billy says these workshops are illegal. So what's your response to that? And David says, and I quote, Billy's not a lawyer and neither am I. All of these companies are clear that attending a workshop is for educational purposes and is not an implicit or explicit offer of work. If this was the case, all of these companies would be shut down, and the Krikorian Act is not being used to do so, not being used to shut them down, despite the cries from people like Billy and others who are critical of the pay-to-play model uh, to have it used that way. Again, this is David saying, I don't view this the same way as others. So there it is. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, I think that's actually a fascinating um, thing to, to, to discuss that one point where he says the Krikorian act is not being used to shut down these companies. And so why is that? And so look at looking at the, <clears throat> like if, if there was another industry or another group or another um person or entity that was that was committing crimes committing a crime someone a a police officer an investigator someone would go in and shut them down right wouldn't that wouldn't that happen so if it was actually so out in the open as this so uh, i mean they're advertising criminal activity right right exactly yeah <laughs> why, why wouldn't they be shut down and and i heard 
this week, and I'm not saying that it's it's right or wrong that they are or aren't. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying why. I'm positing the question. And I heard another really interesting argument from a, a another pro workshop uh, casting director this week who said, you know, I don't I think they will never go away because I think that L.A. County or California state is actually bringing in so much tax revenue from them because they are operating as a business and they're regulated. And so the tax dollars that are coming in is so much that no one's ever going to, you know, challenge Man. them or challenge their legality. Yeah. And I was like, wow, money talk talks, about, right? Yeah. Talk about following the money. Right. And <laughs> yeah. I, once again, I'm not saying it's, it's, uh, it's right or good. I'm just saying that that's another interesting way to sort of look at, you know, why they're maybe not being, why, why these things are not necessarily being, um, uh, enforced. Yeah. Uh, if, if they are, you know, uh, breaking the law, but, um, you know, as, uh, uh, you know, you said, Trevor, I think, um, way back when and, and uh, way back when, like two episodes ago, three episodes ago. And David said, you know, there's always a very, um, you know, that disclaimer, for instance, at the top of the, the workshops, like this is not a guarantee of employment and all of that. Um, you know, they, they, they do sort of cover themselves in, in that way because that would be, I guess, the, the main legal issue um, around the workshops. Yeah. And David said it, you know, nobody's forcing anybody to go do workshops. I mean, I think that it does provide a certain value to actors who are willing to do it and who have the resources, as we've talked about. And having the resources is every actor's responsibility. So uh, if you find yourself getting angry that actors with money are able to do these, maybe there's something to look at there. But also, you know, there's a lot of ways in. And I, I appreciate that, David, we, when we asked him, if, if an actor doesn't have a huge budget for this, what can they do? And David said, you know, like, go to mixers, go to events, go to the, you know, like, get out there and meet people and build relationships with people because you don't have to just get up and read for them. That's not the only way to meet somebody and build a relationship with them. You can do a lot of different things. And you know us. We're huge fans of creating your own work, DIY stuff. In fact, we're working on several guests that uh, are creating their own work and making their way into the industry just by showing people their work by making films and movies and having them play at festivals and stuff. That's a great way <laughs> for, for people to discover your work as well. And then they come knocking on your door and they're ready to pay you. To, to, to read for them. So, uh, yeah. you know, obviously by being hired. So, yeah, uh, just to kind of, again, put all of this thing in a, in a larger context. Yeah. And, and I think I'll say one last thing about, um, our, the response that we got around, uh, David's interview. And then we, I know we have to move on for time. The, the other thing that I heard from, from some actors, uh, friends, uh, close friends who were like, you know, he, he's, uh, he seemed very insensitive when it came to especially the money issue and insensitive toward people that don't have it. Um, and I, I think that that actually could be true. Like I don't, you know, um, I think that, you know, even, even David, after we stopped rolling was like, Oh man, was I, was I, I think he asked you, Trev, like, was I, was I too much? Was that too harsh? Was it too, you know, too intense, too passionate. And the thing is, is, you know, that may be true, but I think it only hits a button because it's so close to home. I think that there are people who have 
resources and people who don't in every single industry. Yeah. And, and David even said it, the people who have the resources tend to be the ones that get ahead. And, and I just don't know how we would, God, this, this sounds so awful because I'm, I don't necessarily agree with this on a larger, um, socioeconomic context, but I just don't know how we would socialize, so to speak, the, um, the tools, the tool set, mm. you know, it would be like figuring out a way for all the actors to pool all of their money so that everybody gets decent headshots right. or something, right, yeah. you know? So I just, I, it's tough. And, and we talk about, I'm really excited to bring this interview because we do talk about some of these issues in it. And, you know, uh, like I said, in, in the teaser, you know, there are so many other ways that actors, you know, spend their money. And yet we always get up in arms about this one mm-hmm. in particular. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying we need to look at what it is about us getting prickly about this subject and not all of the other ways that actors are, you know, potentially getting had taken advantage of, spending their money unnecessarily, etc. And how do you regulate quality? You can't walk yeah. into every casting workshop and be like, this is a bad casting director workshop. This is a good casting director <laughs> right. workshop. You're a bad photographer. You're a good photographer. Yeah. You deserve $800. You deserve $50. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know that, you know, we'll ever find the answer. But, you know, yeah. like, like we've said, we're just trying to present all the different viewpoints and yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, so we have just a few minutes here to move on through a couple other things. Uh, I know you have a cool story. You've got some cool hashtag successful person problems going on with your career right now. What's uh, what's the latest? Hashtag successful person problems. I love that. Um, so uh, speak on the DIY tip, uh, going to be entering this film festival competition and uh, a few friends uh, from uh, Howie's workshop actually got together and um, we're putting together a short film and uh, we're shooting that this week. So awesome. I'm really excited about that. And so I'll update more after, you know, after the shoot and, and all of that. We can talk more about it. Have you been going to Howie's class? Uh, occasionally. Yeah. Off okay. and on. I have not signed up for like a full month, but I've gone like, uh, you know, once here, once there. And then yeah. I've got, um, I'm going this week and then, uh, twice in June. So, you know, just some, uh, yeah, here and there, uh, let's say. Cool. Um, so, uh, anyway, I had my first two, two, two auditions this week. One was my first big VO audition, which I can't actually talk about. Um, it was the first time that it was a scripted n- narrative. Um, and the only thing I'll say is, and I know we've talked about this on the show before, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. And those, the people who do this are, are, they do it for a reason. They are experts for a reason. I was trying to put my, like, oh, this is a piece of cake. Like, you know, I'll, I'll just, um, you know, uh, embody this character and get really enthusiastic and like go for it. And I started doing it. And I was like, I sound like me. I sound like me trying to be a voiceover artist. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was challenging. So, um, and then I had this, uh, I had this really cool audition. Um, a casting director called me in for something. I was like, what? It was to play <laughs> Romeo in Romeo and Juliet at a theater in Fayetteville, Arkansas called Theater Squared. Uh, wow. Wait. You, okay. All right. 
Come to find out, the theater won a Tony Award, an uh, honorary Tony for like excellence in regional theater, something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was for. But it's in uh, a town where the University of Arkansas is, and it's sort of like this miniature – they like to consider themselves a miniature or an up-and-coming Austin, you know, uh-huh. similar sort of um, uh, – you know, this, this sort of more liberal or, or – uh, let's call it artsy section of a Southern, you know, state. Um, But uh, what was cool about it is, and, and this ties in with the casting director workshops thing. It was as close to a general as I've ever had in an audition. Meaning I went in, I had a really cool conversation with the casting director. There was no pressure because it wasn't a lot. She wasn't seeing a lot of people for this for this thing. So it wasn't like a, a waiting room full of other actors. We chatted for a really long time. We did the scenes. We helped each other out. She hadn't read verse in a really long time. So she had to read it through a couple times with me. And so it was like almost like I was like, are you are you good? Do you need to do it again? I was the one saying <laughs> what a casting director usually says. Right. Um Anyway, she she later I got the feedback later. She reached out to my representation and was so excited to have met me that she even told the cast. She even told my agents the television show she has that she's working on the series is series is that she's working on this season, um, and said I I, I want to find a show for him. <sighs> Dude, if that's not good feedback, I don't know yeah. what is. Right. So it, anyway, it was just an argument for like, you know, who the hell knows? I I'm thinking I'm too old and too brown for Romeo. And, <laughs> too um, brown. And 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 I'm like, all right, well, I'll just go and, and, and do whatever. So and plus, you know, it's been so long. since so I've done Shakespeare and I had a good time. And then these are the results. So anyway, mm. that was my cool audition story. Dude, that's great. Interesting that they're they're looking at you for Romeo uh, again, because like you said, too old. Like Romeo's a teenager. Yes. Uh, unless they're doing some, I mean, I, I know you and uh, you play younger than you are, but I don't know about the teenager. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, keep us posted, man. That's cool. Of course. Yeah. Of course. We'll do. I want to stay on topic here and just quickly share a, a comment from Corey who wrote in um, with her experience about casting director workshops in New York City. We talked briefly about this the other episode, and and AJ, I know you said you actually hadn't done any casting director workshops in New York City, but your sort of feeling or experience around them was a a specific way. And Corey writes in and says that she's spent – she lives in New York and works in New York. She says she spent up to $140 for a single night – two to three hour workshop with a top casting director in New York City. And typically these workshops range from $90 to $120 for one night uh, and can and can be a little lower if it's an associate casting director, um, like closer to like $70 to $100. But when we said that cast director workshops are $40 to $50 in LA, she was shocked. She says agent and manager meeting workshops in New York can be $30 to $50. Uh, but that price range for a casting director is like unheard of. Uh, she says, obviously, as the length of the class increases, as in like, you know, two weeks, three weeks, that kind of thing, she says, so does the price. And she, But she's seen full-day intensives listed well into the $250 range. And so she just wanted to share in case that helps, you know, put things in context or sets expectations for other actors out there who might be considering um, leveraging the educational power of casting director workshops yeah. on the East Coast. So thank you for that, Corey. 
totally corroborates uh, what my uh, what I had seen, you know, on mm. uh, websites and stuff about uh, workshops in in New York and and what I said in the in the previous episode. So thank you so much, Corey, for um, giving us the numbers. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's roll into this interview. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Awesome. This is a really great one, guys. Uh, Rebecca Metz on the pro workshop side of the argument, and we'll catch you on the other side. Hey guys, this is AJ. So I am joined by someone who has actually been a guest on the podcast before, Rebecca Metz, who is an actress. And um, through just running into her at uh, one of, actually Trevor and my thrival job uh, at the Kirk Douglas Theater, discovered that she is also a pro workshop actress. So we wanted to uh, have, you know, as many points of view on the, on the workshop issue as possible and and we promised you guys these you know pro workshop interviews as well so um thank you uh, again for coming on the show rebecca my pleasure thank you for having me so um i said before we started recording but i definitely want to make it a public declaration to just thank you for being willing to come on the podcast and be the sort of like the issues guest uh the last time you were on (laughs) <clears throat> the last time you were on, we had you on to talk about the 99-seat theater debate uh, here in Los Angeles, and um, ironically, I did that interview from New York, but uh, you know, here, here you are again talking about a, a current uh, hot-button, uh, potentially political uh, you know, topic, and I, just, I really appreciate your courage in doing that because it, it always takes courage to uh, you know, st- uh, stand for something uh, one way or another. So um, I know I appreciate well, thanks. that. And I our, appreciate that. Yeah. And I know our listeners appreciate it too. So, um, so uh, because we've had you on the, on the podcast before, you know, I'm going to just dive right into the issue at hand um, and ask you first and foremost what your experience has been with workshops, uh, you know, do you do them all the time? Are you still doing them? Um, you know, when did you first start doing them? Uh, you know, uh, ha- have they been positive experiences, negative experiences? Just your experiences with the workshops in general. Yeah. Well, so I um, I graduated Carnegie Mellon some undisclosed number of years ago, and <laughs> went through went through kind of the showcase process. You know, where we did scenes and monologues for invited audiences, casting directors and agents and all that kind of stuff. And I, um, I didn't, I didn't sign with anybody out of that process. I met a lot of people, but I wasn't really sure what to do with the outcome of that process. And then I kind of landed in LA unrepresented sort of going, well, what do I do? And after some time I started realizing, well, I need to, you know, I need relationships, especially if I don't have an agent, the way to, get auditions, get my first jobs is through casting relationships. And I had a little bit of a head start on that through the workshop process or through the the showcase process, but not a lot. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty proactive actor in terms of, 
you know, taking charge of my career and, and making decisions about it. And so I thought, well, I want to start, I know some of the projects I'm interested in working on that I think I'm right for. I want to start meeting those people. How can I do that? And that led me to kind of discovering workshops. And so I started out doing them, got the lay of the land a little bit, talked to other actors about which ones they had good experiences with. I found a few that I thought were really valuable and I found them educational. This was before the, I don't know when it was, the last round of kind of hubbub over workshops that mm-hmm. led to the current regulations that are in place. But um, when I was doing them, I found them educational. You know, I had a, a classical theater background, so I didn't have a lot of experience with cold reading or on-camera material. And so I found workshops to be a great combination of education in those things and an opportunity for me to build my skills around on-camera auditions and to be able to just take some control over who I was meeting and who I was establishing relationships with. I think, you know, as actors, we have so little control over who we get to meet when we get to meet them. And I think workshops are just a great way to exercise a little bit of control over the direction your career is heading. You know, you can, if you're a person who's interested in single camera comedies, you can focus on meeting people who work on single camera comedies and it, and, and letting them know that that's something you're interested in and building your skills in that area. So for me, that was really the value of workshops. I haven't done them in a long time. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to build up credits and to get representation and, and to not really need workshops anymore because they tend to be for sort of co-star level roles and I'm sort of past that now, which is great. And, but I mean, I still see casting offices all the time that I initially met through workshops. That was, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the co-star level thing, because that was actually going to be my next question. Did you find that they, that attending these workshops did translate directly to work? And if so, what level of work was it? Was it just the the co-star stuff? I would say, I, I don't think it's accurate to say that workshops translated directly to auditions. I always thought of workshops as kind of planting a seed that it was then on me to follow up on through, you know, sending postcards and marketing as we all have to do. Um, I think the hardest, the hardest part of kind of initiating a new relationship with a casting person or an office you don't know is that that initial step that like getting in the door, getting them to see your work. So they know you're not crazy. They know what you sound like. They know that you are capable of delivering in a room. And once you've done that, you can follow up with them, you know, forever and sort of say, remember you saw me that one time, blah, blah, blah. So I think the people that I met in workshops and then consistently followed up with over time, um, some of them did translate into auditions. And, you know, I remember specifically walking into an office that I had, I'd met someone in a workshop. I'd spent several years following up with them through postcards and that kind of thing. And when I walked in for an audition, they were like, Rebecca, it's so great to see you. And I was like, oh my God, I, this person forgot all about me I haven't seen in years. <laughs> I did it. I so did it. I made them remember me. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, I said I was I was being you saying I did it. I did it. I made them remember me. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, I that's for me I sort of use a gardening analogy. You know, you plant a seed and there's any number of ways to do it and a workshop is one of them. And then you water that seed and feed feed that plant and it grows over time. It's not a 
it's not a sort of transactional. And th- this is why I sort of reject the argument that it's a paid audition. It's, I worked in the corporate world. I had day jobs in the corporate world for a long time and was constantly getting sent out by the, my employers to events that sort of doubled as peer level educational events where you'd attend sessions talking about various skills and techniques and the, you know, the industry we were working in and networking events. The goal was to connect with people, other people who might be potential partners, clients, that kind of thing. And that's kind of how I see workshops. Every industry does it. It's an, it's a networking opportunity and an educational opportunity and just an opportunity to get to know your peers and the other people working in the business. And that's really what it was for me. It was a way to initiate relationships that it was then on me to cultivate and to turn into long-term working relationships. So, and I think, I think because of that, the auditions that I, that I got while I was workshopping tend to be co-star level auditions because it's, it's an initial kind of like, all right, let's bring this person in and see what they can do. I've seen them in a workshop context. I know what they do well, what they sound like. I know that they're not gonna, you know, have a meltdown in the room let's see what they can do. And a lot of those things have grown into bigger level auditions because now the relationship is based on much more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course the way that you're describing it, that's the, that's the ideal, right? That's the way that we, we, we hope it works if we do attend workshops. I've, I've also through these conversations, we've also heard from, from people, actors, guests who say, even if they're pro workshop, they say that there's that sort of that dark underbelly or that dark side or that we even had, uh, I think David uh, Lawrence even said night, nightmare version of the of the workshops where the you go in, the person does not seem interested whatsoever. They're just mm-hmm. there to collect the money. Uh, after someone does their reading of their script, they say, nice job. And that's it. That's the only feedback yeah. that you get. And they move on to the next person. So I'm sure you've experienced that as well in attending uh, workshops when when you did attend them. Yeah. And I think part, you know, what I learned about that is talk to my fellow actors about who they've seen and what their experience was and who they gave, who gave a great workshop and who didn't. And to, to be picky about the places where I do workshops, you know, I got to a point where I only would go to a few places and they were careful to only bring in people who had a reputation for, for adding value in their workshops, for giving real feedback, for being genuinely interested in being there. You know, I think, I think that's an important part. And also I had the experience of going to workshops where I was like, Oh, I do not vibe with this person. You know, they don't like what I'm doing. I don't particularly (laughs) like their energy, but that's a really valuable thing to know. You know what I mean? And on the flip side, I would meet with people who were like, Oh my God, this person gets me. I am totally their person. And those, those are golden relationships. And I, I don't, you know, it's, that's the kind of relationship where I would have met that person eventually because we're such a great fit. It's just a question of when and how and whether I had any control over when and how. And mm. that's, again, why I think workshops are so valuable. I didn't have to wait until I found an agent. <clears throat> they submitted me for the right thing. I managed to get called in. You know, I could have it happen earlier so I could generate some of my own work and then be able to go to agents and say, hey, I'm booking my own work. Do you want a piece of this? Which I think is the most effective way to start a career. <laughs> right. Nice. I, li- I, li- I like that uh, p- that way of looking at it. 
So we've we've established the context of what is what the current climate is on the podcast before. So I don't want to ask you to sort of rehash what's going on with the the Hollywood, mm-hmm. Hollywood Reporter article. But I do, as a pro workshop uh, actor, want to ask you what your your sort of um, uh, reaction is to what's going on right now. Um, the the Scott David thing aside, because there's no way to prove that you know he actually was was terminated based on the uh, article uh, or the editorial. Uh-huh. Uh, <clears throat> there's no real way to to connect those dots. There's you know it could have been any you know uh, any right. number of reasons why he was uh, let go from that job. But so but that aside, there's still ripples. There's still things happening right now in the industry. You have uh-huh. the, the CSA creating this you know this uh, workshop committee. Um, you have uh, actors who, who are uh, you know anti workshop finally being like, oh we have a or not finally but uh, again saying we have a voice. And then people who are pro workshop saying like what's going like some people are afraid to uh-huh. speak up on both sides sides of the issue. So there's obviously a lot going on, uh, whether or not you believe that a casting director lost their job um, based on an editorial. So I I would love to know as a pro workshop actor, what's your, what what are you, how are you reacting or how are you feeling about what's happening in the current environment? Um, I I should first sort of put out a disclaimer and say, I, I, shot uh, a role on Criminal Minds cast by Scott in the middle of all this. Um, <laughs> That's right. So I remember you mentioning that I when I ran like, into you at the, at the theater. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I did not meet Scott in a workshop. I met Scott through, you know, the regular sort of agent submission process. He's called me in a million times over the years, you know, looking for the right role. And so to me, that's kind of the ideal casting actor relationship. He's been, I've had nothing but positive, ethical, wonderful experience with, with him. And I, I was so sad to hear everything that happened. I'd never, you know, done a workshop at, at the company that he worked with. But so anyway, I just want to put that out there in case somebody's like, that lady, you know, just on criminal <laughs> minds. I'm of not getting a she's speaking or anything for taking him. this decision. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, it sort of feels to me like a, a little bit of, a, not a rehash, but a revisiting of, of what we went through a number of years ago in terms of talking about the ethics of all of this. And I don't think there's anything wrong with revisiting it as new companies have cropped up and, you know, people have, actors have moved out here who weren't around when all of that happened. Um, I sort of feel similarly to how I felt then, which is that it's important. I think it's really important to make distinctions between because there are people who prey on people's dreams and make sort of outrageous promises and go to Kansas and say, you know, pay us $300 and we'll make you a star. And I absolutely think those things should be stopped because they're purely predatory. I think there's a big difference between that and and a, a workshop in Los Angeles who screens actors to make sure they're ready to work on a professional level and ready to read for professionals and, and who are providing that kind of educational networking opportunity that I was talking about. And I think those, those, those extremes get conflated a lot of the time when we're having this conversation. Yeah. So I think that's a really important distinction to make being pro workshop doesn't mean that I'm pro every single person who goes out and charges actors to get in front of a, a professional. Mm-hmm. It means I'm pro the kinds of things that I experienced, which were genuine networking opportunities, usually run by actors 
um, who wanted to help empower other actors to take a little bit more of a measure of control over their careers. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, I, I think it's good that we're having the conversation. It's always good to have the conversation. It's funny. I've been thinking about the ways in which it kind of overlaps with the, the 99 seat theater issue in that oh, I, really? I sort of think of myself as pro choice in this respect. Like mm. if you want to do it, you should be allowed to do it. If you don't want to do it, you absolutely shouldn't feel compelled to do it. But the argument that I don't buy is that the existence of workshops somehow inhibits actors who don't want to do them from having the careers they want. You know, there are the Screen Actors Guild runs free workshops that that do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and there there are again, I went through that kind of showcase process through my school. A lot of people advocate doing theater. I've heard some people, dear friends of mine, who are anti-workshops say, well, if workshops didn't exist, casting directors would do more generals, which is what they used to do. And I just don't buy that because there's just no time. I mean, the last time generals were kind of a big part of the business, there was so much less work being made. I I don't when you hear casting directors talk about the numbers that they're working with in terms of submissions for a role and how many people they can call in and the, the sort of windows of time they have between when they get a breakdown for a role and when they need to cast it, there's no time for them to see, you know, 30 actors a week in general, the way they can see in a few hours in an audition. Right. In, in a workshop. I'm sorry. Right. So, I just I don't I don't buy that argument that workshops are inhibiting actors who don't want to do workshops from being able to develop their careers. I really think it's a matter of choice, mm-hmm. and that if you if you don't want to do them, by all means, don't do them. But for the people that they work for, I think I think it's a really important opportunity, and I I hate the idea of taking taking choice away from people. Kind of in it on any issue, that's probably where I'm going to come down. Right. You know? Right. It's interesting. Uh, that's interesting how you you know tied it together with the ninety nine seat theater theater thing. I, I totally see that, um, and I also appreciate you saying what you were saying about you know that we should be talking about the the, the people who are going to Kansas and 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 Arkansas mm-hmm. and and charging all this money, um, and and how we can if there's a possible way of um, you know maintaining the ethics or the uh, the, the quality of the workshops in major markets like Los Angeles and New York. Um, I, I wonder though, I, I want to ask you, there are guidelines that the CSA has put out for their casting. There are, mm-hmm. there are labor laws in the state of California and there are um, sort of uh, human resources type rules set in place by, mm-hmm. by the studios all of which um, focused on the ethics or the way in which the workshops should be run. And in a lot of cases are either being ignored or broken or not heated or whatever you want to call it. And so Mm -hmm. what I wanted to ask, are any workshops ethical foundationally? Do you get what I'm saying? I think I do. I mean, I... It's a hard question to answer because I'm not a lawyer, 
I'm not, you know, I don't work for the CSA. I'm not a regulator of these things. I think, I, I think there's an important distinction to be drawn between regulations and ethics. You know, if someone is breaking the rules established by a studio or an organizational body that they're a member of, that's one thing. And, and, you know, I would have to leave that between that person and the organization. I think the ethics are different. You know, there are lots of casting directors who do coaching with actors. There are and lots of, of ways that people in the industry make money from actors. Obviously, casting director workshops are not the only way that actors could potentially be taken advantage of. <laughs> yes. Um, we talk about you know, as many I, as possible on the podcast. <laughs> So. Right. And so I guess I guess I think to some degree trying to solve the problem, you know, however you want to if, if you want to say that, that there is the potential for an ethical problem, then casting directors have the opportunity to make money from actors. I accept that as a, you know, as a as a, a statement. Um, I think looking at sort of regulations from the casting side as the only way to address that potential problem is in itself problematic. I think you have to educate actors. You know, I talk to actors all the time and they ask about workshops and I sort of say, look, what I do, what I don't advocate and what I think can become a problem. I know actors who are like, I'm doing three workshops a week and they don't give a lot of thought to which ones they're doing. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, I don't think for me, that's not a smart strategy because you're not, you're not thinking strategically about how you're using them for your career. I sort of say, well, think about it this way. What career do you want? Where do you most want to be working? And, you know, for a lot of actors, they sort of go, I don't care. I'll work anywhere. Like, okay, but you can't market yourself to everybody. So what do you love? What do you most want to be working in? <clears throat> Again, I'll use the example of single camera comedies. If you can say, okay, this is my, this is my focus at this point in my career. You can then take that and make a short list make a list of the projects that you love of the actors whose work that you love and see who they're working with and come up with a list for yourself of offices and of people that you want to establish relationships with in the interest of, of working towards a specific goal that you've defined for your own career. That's where I think workshops can be valuable. I mm. think, you know, and, and so I think we should be doing as much work to educate actors and how to be discerning professional consumers of all of the things that we write checks for headshots, reels, you know, coaching classes, all of that stuff where we can get taken for a ride if we don't know what we're doing and say, be, be choosy about it before you sign up for a workshop with someone, talk to your fellow actors, find people who have also worked with this person and see if it's been a valuable experience. Give, there's there's all kinds of different workshop models. You know, there there are workshops that pair actors up in cold readings. There are workshops that do one-on-one readings that have you go in one at a time versus having you read in front of a bunch of people. There are ones that do sort of over multiple weeks, so you get to really kind of dig in more. Ones where the casting director assigns material, you bring prepared material. You know, I would say give some thought to the format that you want and be choosy about about that format. If you feel like you get more value out of one than out of another, Mm. you know, I I feel like, again, it sort of gets positioned as these poor, innocent, helpless actors are being taken for a ride. And I sort of get a little defensive about it. Like I'm not stupid. I know how to make (laughs) informed consumer choices. Let me play a role in this. Let me decide which, 
which workshops I'm willing to support and I'm not based on what works for me. You know, I don't think the onus should be entirely on on casting and on, on the organizations to address the potential problem. I say, you know, and people sort of say, well, they're the ones in power. I think we, I think we tend to overestimate the power of a casting person. You know, they, they work for the same producers we do. They can't hand someone a job, right? They can give you an opportunity by way of an audition, but they're not going to hand auditions out to people just because, they saw them in a workshop. They're not going to put anyone in front of a producer who couldn't potentially get the job because that's their reputation on the line. Right. And it's their job to meet new actors. So, so one way or another, they have to do that within the insanity that their schedule has become. I feel like I veered off to answering the actual question. (laughs) Uh, But I guess, I guess that's what I would say is there's a difference between regulations and ethics. And I don't think the onus, of resolving that should be entirely on the casting side. I think actors have a role to play in that too. I, I, I agree. And I, you know, we, ha- that is something we have said, you know, on the podcast in the past is like, if you're, if you're going to choose to do workshops, just make sure you do your homework. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes I, I worry and, and maybe this is just, you know, the way that, you know, a free market or free enterprise system works. Sometimes I worry about uh, the actor who's fresh off the bus from the Midwest who doesn't, know any better um and and on the subject of actor education for not only casting director workshops but as you said all of the ways that we can write a check whether it's headshots or um uh you know your reel or whatever it is that you're you know whatever marketing material you're going to spend your money on uh on the subject of actor education we started a podcast and we just hope we're not shouting into the dark for six years um, you know, yeah. um, I mean, uh, truly, truly, this is one subject of many that we, we, we try to cover and, and educate, uh, actors and, uh, other artists on, and, and, and you're right. It's, it's, um, there, there has to be a responsibility. Everyone, everyone involved across the board has to be personally responsible for their part in the machine that is the entertainment industry. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, of course there's going to be, you know, uh, people who take advantage of actors, people who take advantage of others, people who take advantage of people who are green. Um, and you know, hopefully the truth will out if you will, you know, hopefully yeah. the, those people don't, <clears throat> hopefully the cream rises to the top and, and, and those other uh, people, um, if I can mix metaphors, don't, you know, those bad apples don't spoil the bunch. Yeah. I- I think, you know, I think I'm always sort of amazed that we haven't, there hasn't been much of this same kind of conversation about acting classes. I know so many actors who spend hundreds of dollars a month in classes and, and as far as I know, aren't sort of actively pursuing any sort of career. It's fine to take classes if, if you're getting what you need out of just taking classes. But, you know, I remember there was a book that I read a long time ago a David Mamet book called true and false Mm -hmm. where he sort of talked about the, the potential danger of getting trapped in the busy work of being an actor and never actually putting yourself in front of anybody who could give you a job. I think Mm. I'm extrapolating from that, but you know, there are a lot of ways to get stuck in this, you know, feeling like you're an actor because you're taking classes and getting new headshots and working on your website and all this kind of stuff and never 
never putting yourself in front of somebody who could lead to actual work. And I, you know, I, I think it's just a little weird that we're so focused singularly on this issue of, of workshops and not on so many other ways that actors, you know, kind of fritter away money and energy and time on things that aren't helping them get to where they want to be. Yeah. I, I think that you just answered your own question, though, because the distinction, for me anyway, is that the, the casting, a casting director versus an acting teacher, the casting director actually has the potential of uh, moving you one step closer toward a job. Whereas an acting teacher, yeah. unless they're you know uh, pr- pr- a producer as well, or they're or they're or they know someone, or they're a director, or they're filming something, or they're about to film something, doesn't necessarily have that same uh, position. I'm not saying that's good, bad, or diff- or indifferent. I'm just saying yeah. I, I think that's the distinction um, between the two, and why people do get up in arms about the casting workshops versus an acting class. I guess that's another place where it brings me kind of back to the 99C issue. We had a lot of people sort of saying, you know, people would say, well, this is a way for me to practically get up on my feet and exercise my craft without waiting for somebody to give me a chance. And people sort of came back and said, well, just take acting classes. I thought, <laughs> how is it better for me to pay hundreds of dollars a month to work in front of the same people over and over again versus versus not, not being paid at all? To get in front of an actual audience. And so an I, audience. I, you yeah. know, I would make the same argument about workshops. Why, why am I being taken advantage of because I'm choosing to spend my money in a context that could lead to a job? And I'm not being taken advantage of if I'm choosing to spend my money in a context where I couldn't get a job? It just doesn't make sense to me. Right. I, I, I guess the argument is that it's unfair because the casting director could get something out of it and the acting teacher doesn't it doesn't again it, it just doesn't make sense to me in a in a professional context and that's what i am you know doing something that that i benefit from that also benefits the person on the other end of the transaction i don't have an ethical problem with that mm. well and 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 uh, you know it's not like the acting teacher is not getting paid either um right <laughs> so uh right I, uh, we we're unfortunately man. This is one of those topics, right? We could talk forever. We're we're um, running running out of time, but I, I just want to ask you, sort of, if you could, you know, see around corners. If 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 you could, um, you know, walk out on on the end of the branch and 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 say what what you think might be coming next what what you think may be a result or the results of this this current um you know hubbub and kerfuffle mm-hmm. whatever whatever funny <laughs> word you want to use you know the, the mm-hmm. we talked about what the ripples currently are what do you see as them you know if you could see those ripples go further and further across the lake what do you see as being the next uh, the next ripples i guess what i hope the next ripple riffle ripple <laughs> would be would be kind of a a tightening and a more specificity to the guidelines that are governing these things so that the quality can improve. I don't want the ripple to be that casting directors become afraid to do them or that they go away because I think they're hugely beneficial to people who choose to participate in them um, and to the industry in general. but I think I think there's definitely room to keep improving them, keep establishing standards, keep maybe squeezing out people and businesses that aren't doing it for the right reasons and so shouldn't be around and to keep educating actors. I think, you know, again, 
it's good to have actors be paying attention to this conversation so that we can think more critically and more actively about what we what we choose to participate in and and about how we can play a more active role in this so that it's not all up to the casting side of things or the you know workshop operator side of things to make all of the decisions if that makes sense so i guess i hope the the outcome will be kind of a natural progression of what happened the last time we had this kind of huge discussion, which is more of a focus on the right ways to put limits on workshops so that actors are not being taken advantage of without curtailing actors' ability to make choices about how they want to develop their own careers. Mm. Great. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming back on the show to talk about a another hot button issue. Um, I promise someday we'll have you on as just a guest talking about you know <laughs> the normal fun stuff of being an actor. Um, sure, uh, <clears throat> but uh, you know it's really great. It's 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 great to have this perspective. Um, you know, once again, we you know we're committed here to. Um, I mean, the tagline of the show is demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. And this is a big question for a lot of actors showing up in a major market. And, you know, so we're committed to, you know, looking at it from from all sides of the coin. And, and um, hopefully, you know, between Billy, David and yourself, we have given people at least enough, um, you know, context to allow them to, as you said, make their own choices. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, part of the reason I'm here again is that I think you are doing great work. And so I'm really proud to to have anything to do with what you're doing to kind of help people better navigate this crazy path that we've all decided to <laughs> to walk. So thank you. Thank you for having me back. Thank you. Thank you. And, th- and, and yeah, thank you for being on the show and for those kind words. Uh, it, it means a lot to hear it from, you know, our fellow uh, working actors out there. So I, I'm in the awkward position of having played, just played this interview, but me having not heard it yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I am really stoked to hear it. I, I have no debrief to offer, but I'm really excited based on what you've shared, AJ, uh, to, to give it a listen. What is your pick of the week this week? So my pick of the week is related to, uh, I can't say a lot. Um, in fact, this is probably saying too much, but who cares? I didn't actually sign an NDA, but I might as well have. Um, uh, this is related to my voiceover audition. I was watching this show for research, and that's all I'll say. Um, it's called Regular Show. Uh, it's an animated <laughs> it's an animated show about a blue jay and a raccoon who are groundskeepers at a park. Um, and it's, it's really funny and really cute. And they, uh, you know, it, it's the kind of show that could probably be watched by kids, but is probably much more aimed at, um, you know, um, teenagers and above or, or adults, uh, period. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really good. And it, and, um, JG Quintel, the guy who created it, he 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 animated it. He voices a couple of the characters, and the the it's funny because the the drawing is so specific, and it's not like this epic, you know, animation. And so I feel like I feel like he just like drew these characters on a piece of paper, and it inspired me to want our listeners to be inspired to go out and create their own their yeah. own content. Yeah, um, you know, so. 
I love that, man. I can, I can see that uh, Mark Hamill's in it. Mark Hamill's had a great career uh, doing voiceover since uh, Star yeah. Wars. He's, he's really quite prolific in the animated voiceover world. Yeah, he's the Joker, man. Yeah, yeah, I think that's amazing. And you know, you know what's cool too? This this reminds me uh, just what you just how you describe this show. This reminds me of something that I remember Helena Santos doing years and years ago before we really knew her. I, I and Helena, if you're listening, email us or call us and let me know if I've really messed this up in my memory. But I, I, what I seem to remember was like a a very simple animated series that. You did. I'm speaking straight to Helena now, where it was essentially just like s- stick figures, uh, and we're we're talking like five or six frames per minute, so like very rudimentary animation, like stick figures, but like in bathroom stalls. So you would see like the bathroom stall doors and just their little legs sticking out from underneath the doors, and it was just like this sort of conversation between two people as they're in the bathroom like talking and each episode was like a minute or two and she had a few of those out and i i remember seeing that and thinking that is so brilliant anybody can do that anybody with iMovie or windows movie maker the most rudimentary drawing skills you could possibly imagine and a a shred of humor and creativity could make their own animated series and put it up on youtube and i remember it being really clever Helena, again, if you're listening, send us a link or tell us more about that because I think that was cool and a great example of an easy way to create your own content and have a lot of fun with something unique. No, oh, that's fun. Yeah. But uh, the regular show looks great, man. Going to check it out. Is this on, uh, like, oh, it's on Amazon, I see. It's on Hulu. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. Right, uh, I, found cool. a few, I found a few episodes that were streaming for free. So, anyway, cool. it was fun. Cool. Yeah. So, there we go. Awesome. All right, well, my pick of the week is quite timely because today, as we're recording this on May 24th, today is the 10-year anniversary of An Inconvenient Truth. For those of you who aren't in the know, An Inconvenient Truth is Al Gore's documentary about climate change, anthropogenic climate change, which means human-caused climate change. And 10 years ago today, it opened in theaters. And I I think... You know, Al Gore is a kind of a polarizing figure, no pun intended. He, There are people that, that think he's, you know, really speaking the truth, and there are people who, like, really just kind of hate him and think he's part of some green conspiracy and all sorts of stuff. But I, I got to say, having experienced him firsthand and also having done a lot of self-education on this issue, I think history is going to uh, remember Al Gore very positively. I think he's going to be seen as somebody who really helped turn the tide uh, as far as cultural vision goes when it comes to uh, human-caused climate change. And I think the, the, this film was really the start of that turning point, the start of, a, of, a, of the modern environmentalism movement around human-caused climate change. So check it out. If you haven't seen the film... Uh, what's wrong with you? Go watch it. Uh, whether you hate Al Gore or love him, I think it's everybody's duty to, uh, you know, educate themselves and not just take other pundits, you know, opinions and words for it. Like, go seek out the truth for yourself. Um, and it's a great time to, if you have any sensitivity around this issue and you, you, you know, you're behind it, it's a great time to recommit. Ten years to the day, a lot has happened. I see Teslas everywhere. Wind and solar are at grid parity, which means they are as cheap as, if not cheaper, than coal 
oil, natural gas, things like that. We have countries uh, around the world that are rapidly moving to renewable energies, especially China. China is like embarrassing the rest of the world with the speed at which they're adopting renewable energy. We've got more people than ever choosing a plant-based diet. Uh, there's a, we're making amazing progress and things are really picking up speed. But uh, as Al Gore says, it just needs to happen faster. So now is a great time to recommit to this issue if it sparks anything in you at all. So the link on our website takes you to a website that it's called Take Part. It's takepart.com slash AIT10, AIT10. And uh, on that, you can just get a, you know, a quick uh, sort of overview of the film and, and um, see some, some videos of people whose lives have really been affected by the film, including uh, polit- politicians on both sides of the aisle, Republicans as well, activists, regular people, celebrities uh, who, who share via video, you know, what, how this impacted them. And also you can commit to, um, commit to taking action. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Inconvenient Truth, 10-year anniversary. That's my pick of the week. I'm done. <laughs> uh thank you man i can't believe it's been 10 years yeah, holy amazing, huh? crap yeah i remember see- I, I i i own it i remember seeing it it uh I, I became a vegetarian for six years because of it um wow yeah. 10 years crazy yeah. crazy 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 um we also got a really cool listener pick from sarah in dc um it's called the experience passport linked to the amazon or the Amazon link is on our website. Uh, it looks really cool. It's like this little sort of um, notebook or diary type book um, that just has a lot of cool ideas uh, of things you can do to keep your creativity flowing by getting you to do things outside of your normal routine. This is from Sarah in DC. Like, for example, learn one dance move you can co- confidently perform in public. <laughs> uh, she says uh, it has definitely helped me feel more inspired creatively and has some ideas that could make good suggestions for an artist date for those of you doing um the artist way so yeah that check that out it's called the experience passport all right i'm so stoked to check that out so that is just to summarize these these picks of the week that is regular show an animated series worth checking out in any convenient truth the 10-year anniversary and the experience passport that should keep everybody busy for the next week <laughs> um, that's it that's all the time we got for episode 236 anything you wanted to add before we, we no get out sir let's all roll right. today's episode of inside acting was produced and co-hosted by me aj meyer and of course trevor algat jen levin is our production coordinator gadali gubrick is our marketing and web director deborah smith is our community manager timothy patrick waterman is our director of public relations trevor algat edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music and fern Lim designed our logo you can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes in fact all of our episodes over at our website insideacting.net you can also find us on twitter instagram youtube facebook soundcloud cloud itunes stitcher we're we're we, we make an effort to be everywhere and uh wherever you find us if you like what we're doing go ahead and leave us a review uh it's like putting a little tip in the tip jar helps other people find the show it means all the world to us to have positive reviews in public places uh for this thing we do so please go ahead and do that itunes is a great place to start special thanks to our sponsors viotagogo.com and rehearsal pro which by the way folks is finally coming. I know we've been saying this for months, but the final, final, final build was just submitted to the iTunes store, and I couldn't be more excited because I have been lucky, blessed, grateful to have 
a lot of really great auditions lately and I really could have used this to help me. So if you want to get off book, learn your lines, uh, you know, be confident in what your choices are, um, be able to drop into character without worrying about the text, um, visit rehearsal.pro slash IAP uh, to check it out. And uh, it's coming. It's mm-hmm. coming. It's yeah, it's coming. like, it's right like what? It's like a, a week or two uh, s- approval process once it gets submitted to the iTunes store. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it uh, it varies, but that's what I think. That's uh, that's Apple's goal anyway. Awesome. Um, and of course, thanks to you, our listeners. If you love Inside Acting, you want to maximize its value in your life and career, and support the continued production of the podcast, you can do so by signing up as a member. And get cool perks like access to our membership message board, cool freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups, and much, much more. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. And that does it for episode 236, baby, of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, hashtag successful person problems. <laughs> <laughs>